Hey guys, welcome to Crime, the rest is history. Before moving on to today's episode, I would suggest everybody to listen to the disclaimer. So guys, in my previous episode, I did state there was another murder that happened in the background. So today, we are dealing with the murder that happened in the background. Catherine Adams murdered on 30th September 1888. 30th September, Mystery Square. Her last night. At more or less the exact moment that the body of Elizabeth Stride was being discovered in Titlefield's yard, another prostitute named Catherine or Kate Eddowes was being released from the Bissefridge police station in the city of London. Arrested at Albgate High Street, at around 8.30pm the previous evening she had been entertaining a delighted a crowd of onlookers outside number 29 Adagate High Street with a spontaneous though drunk imitation of a fire engine. Having taken a bow, she lay down on the pavement and went to sleep. PC Robinson of the city police arrived on the scene and asked if any, on the, any of the onlookers knew who she was or where she lived. None of them did. So Robinson hauled her to her feet and leant her against the wall. She promptly slid back down onto the pavement. No doubt to the further amusement of the crowd, Robinson summoned a colleague, PC George Simons, to his assistance and together they manhandled her around to the Busofridge police station. Here, when asked her name, Kate replied, nothing. The police officers placed her in a cell and left her to sober up. She had soon fallen into a comatose sleep. PC George Hutt, the city gaoler, came on the duty at 10 p.m. and took over the responsibility for the prisoners in the cell. He checked on her several times over the next few hours and found her still fast asleep each time he did so. Hutt singing in her cell. But by 12.15 a.m. she had woken up and Hutt heard her singing softly. Fifteen minutes later, she called to him and asked when she would be allowed to leave. When can you take care of yourself? Hutt called back. I can do that now, came her reply. At 12.55 a.m., he brought her from the cell and told her she could go. When he asked her name and address for the release papers, she told him it was Mary Ann Kelly at 6 Fashion Street. She leaves the police station. Discharging her from the custody, Hust put, put open the swing door to the passage and said, This way, missus. As she walked along the passage to the outer door, she asked him what time it was. Too late for you to go or get any more drink, observed Hart. I shall get a diamond fine hiding when I get home. She sighed as she opened the door. Hutt was not in the least bit sympathetic. And serve you right, he replied. You have no right to get drunk. As Kate left the station, Hutt asked her to shut the door behind her. All right, she chipped. Good night, old cock. So saying, she turned left and headed off towards Hanshirit. According to Hutt's later estimation, it would have been taken around eight minutes, ordinary walking, to reach Military Square, 
during which time the murder of Elizabeth's child was also heading towards the square from the opposite direction. The last sightings of Catherine Mrs. Square, situated about half a mile to the west of Berners Street, lay just inside the city of London boundary. It was, then, an enclosed square over which towered three imposing warehouse buildings, three unhabited houses and a shop baked onto its southwest corner. Whistled two further houses, one of which was occupied by a city policeman, Richard Pierce, nestled between the warehouses. The square was bordered by Mitchell Street to the west, Andalgate High Street to the south and Duke's Palace to the east. Nearby stood the great surrounding on Beville's Mark, whistled a stone through away was the church of St. Botolfluve, beyond which the south side of Adelgate High Street was lined with butchers' shop and slaughterhouses and was consequently known as Butcher's Row. There were three entrances into the square, a fairly wide one that came in from Mrs. Square, the narrower St. James Place, known locally as Orange Market, in the square's northeast corner, and the long, narrow church passage in the southeast corner that came in from the Duke's Place. P.C. Wetkins passed through at 1.30 a.m., at 1.30 a.m., P.C. Walklands of the street police passed the southeast corner on a beat that brought him through Middle Square every 12 to 14 minutes. He had his lantern on and fixed his belt. He was later emphatic that the square had been quite deserted and that no one could have been hiding in the square without him seeing again. He left square and turned right towards Adelgate. Catherine seen with a man. Five minutes later, three Jewish gentlemen, Harry Harris, Joseph Heyman Levy, and Joseph Lowenden, left the Imperial Club on the Duke Street, and as they passed its junction with Church Passage, noticed a man and woman talking quietly together. The woman had her back to them, but they could see that her hand was resting on the man's chest. Levy was immediately convinced that the couple were up to no good and announced brusquely, I don't like going home by myself when I see these sorts of characters about. In his hurry to get away, he paid the couple scant attention and was unable to forge a description of either of them. Although he did say that the man may have been three or so inches taller than the woman. What Joseph Levin saw Joseph Levin, however, was a little less disgusted and a little more observant. Although he had seen the woman's face, he was almost certain that her clothing was that worn by Catherine Eddowes when he was later shown in at the police station. Although the street lighting wasn't particularly good, he caught a brief glimpse of the man's face and was able to provide Polis with a description. He had an appearance of a sailor and was aged about 30. He was around 5 feet 9 inches and of a medium build. He had a fair complexion and a small fair moustache. He spotted a reddish hand neckerchief 
tied in a knot, wore a pepper and salt colored, loose fitting jacket, and had on a grey, peaked cloth cap. However, it should be noted that Lubin obtained only a quick glimpse of the man as he passed by, and since the couple were doing nothing particularly suspicious, he later maintained that he would not be able to recognize or identify the man that were to see him again. Since Catherine's body was discovered after fifteen minutes later in Mrs. Square, a few steps away from Wellens saw the couple, and there is a high probability that the man he saw was just the mother of Catherine Eddowes. This makes it highly unlikely that Levin saw the face of Jack the Riper. Catherine Eddowes' body found. P.C. Watkins finds the body. At 1.44 a.m., P.C. Watkins turned out of Lidenhall Street, strolled along Meter Square and we would ride into the Meter Square. Almost immediately, he saw a sight that sent him reeling back in horror. Catherine Eddowes was lying on her back in a pool of blood, with her clothes thrown up over her waist. Racing across the square, Wittens burst into Curly and Toggins warehouse, where he knew retired policeman George Morris was working as a night watchman. For God's sake, mate! cried Watkins. Come to my assistant. Here is another woman cut into pieces. Pausing to get his lamp, the night watchman followed Watkins to the square's southwest corner, took one look at the body and raced off along Meter Square towards Adelgate, blowing furiously on his whistle as he ran. Dr. Squiller examines the body. In Adelgate, he met P.C. James Harvey and P.C. Holland, and brought them back to the square. Holland went immediately to fetch Dr. George William Squiller from his abode of nearby Jury Street. Dr. George William was at the scene by 1.55 a.m. and later told the inquest that the place where the murder had occurred was probably the darkest part of Mitter Square. Although there had been certainly enough light for the miscreant to perpetrate the deed. Death, he said, would have been instantaneous once the murderer had cut the windpipe and the blood vessels. Significantly, he was of the opinion that the murderer possessed no great anatomical skill. In other words, he had only a basic knowledge of anatomy and when asked by the coroner if he had as have expected the murder to be bestiferated with blood, replied, not necessarily. But at the scene of murder in the early hours of that morning, Dr. George William did little more than pronounce life existent and decided not to touch the body, preferring instead to await the arrival of the city police Divisional Surgeon Dr. Frederick Gordon Brown. A search of the area. Meanwhile, police officers were converging on the Mitri Square from all over the city. Inspector Edward Collard arrived from the Brisbane Police Station and ordered an immediate search of the neighborhood, instructing that the door to door inquiries were to be made of the area around Mitter Square. Next of the scene was Superintendent James McWilliam. 
head of police detective department, who arrived with a number of detectives, all of whom he sent off to make a thorough search of the Spitalfield streets and lodging houses. As the officers began to fan out through the streets, several men were stopped and questioned. But no avail, the killer is appeared and have simply melted away into the night. The killer's possible escape route. It is probable that he made his escape via the adjacent St. James Place, where there was a Metropolitan Fire Escape Station. Yet the firemen on the duty had not seen or heard a nothing. Neither had City Police Constable Richard Pierce, who lived at number 3 meter square, where his bedroom window looked across the murder site. George Morris, the night watchman whose whistled, had first alerted the police at large to the ascorosity, expressed himself totally baffled as to how such a brutal crime could have been committed by close, without him hearing a sound, as the illustrated in police newspaper reported. He could not hear the footsteps of the policeman as he passed on his belt every quarter of an hour, so that it appeared impossible that the woman could have uttered any sound without his detecting it. It was only at night that he had remarked to some policemen that he wished the butcher would come around Mitter Square and he would give him a doing. Yet the butcher had come and he was perfectly ignorant of it. The city detectives saw nothing. Stranger still was the fact that at the exact moment that Catherine Eddowes was going with her murderer into Middle Square, three city detectives, Daniel Hulse, Robert Otmerum, and Edward Myrod, were busily outstretching plain clothes patrols of the city eastern fringe. Yet the murderer had apparently managed to slip past them undetected and then had herded back into the streets of East End. Hasley was over St. Brown's Church when he learned of the murderer at just before 2 a.m. Hurrying at Meter Square, he gave instructions to constable present to search for the neighborhood. Daniel Hassel searches the area. Hassel then set off to make his own search, heading first for Middlesex Street, from which they turned into the Wentworth Street, where he stopped to question two men. Both, though, were able to give him a satisfactory account of their movements, and he allowed them to continue on their way. He then passed by Golston Street at around 2.20 a.m., where he had noticed nothing untoward, and then he ended, headed back to Major Square. Here he found that the body had been removed to the Golden Lane Mortuary. So guys, this is the murder of Catherine Eddowes. But there was a clue that has been found while having been murdered, a double murder at a simultaneously over there that is of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes. And what was the clue that was being found? So stay tuned for the clue in my upcoming episode. Until then, this is Crime, the rest is history. And this is your host, Lavnia Zeus. Adios.